Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So nice for me to be back in the studio. Uh, Francis has been carrying the mantle here uh, uh, over the last week or so. I was actually away at uh, a funeral for my mother-in-law. God rest her soul. I appreciate uh, the time that Francis gave me to be away with my family. So thank you, Francis, and good evening. How are you? I'm overjoyed that you're back in the studio here with me, and we get to have a real conversation instead of me having a monologue. So thank you. <laughs> well, we do. Uh, I know both of us prefer being together and having a conversation, as you say, as opposed to uh, um, one of us uh, sort of lecturing or uh, uh, just uh, you know providing the information. So it's great to be back. Um, and I think we will begin, as we always do, with an opening prayer. And Francis, would you lead us in that, please? This is from St. Teresa Vava, the book of her life, from chapter 30. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Teach me, my God, to suffer in peace the afflictions which you send me, that my soul may emerge from the crucible like gold, both brighter and purer, to find you within me. Trials like these, which at present seem unbearable, will eventually become light, and I shall be anxious to suffer again, if by so doing I can render you greater service. And however numerous may be my troubles and persecutions, they will all work together for my greater gain, though I do not myself bear them as they should be borne, but in a way which is most imperfect." In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, As I understand, when Francis closed last week, she was discussing the phenomenon in the life of Teresa Margaret, of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, of loving without our experiencing actual consolation. And in fact, um, it is in this late stage of the spiritual journey that we may even experience repugnance at our spiritual exercises or the practice of prayer. We realize, this might sound strange uh, for some of our listeners, but think of the reality of what's happening to the soul at this stage. It's learning to love at the deepest level of its being. Here, at this stage, love must be pure gift to the other, not a response to what we have or our experience in the Lord's love for us. That's the way that we are led into this, um, just as a parent. Uh, clearly demonstrates their love to the young child, but as that child matures, the parent's expression of love comes in different forms, in different fashions, and uh, requires of the child, in this case a maturing adult, spiritual adult, a response to that love that is not simply uh, based on the receipt of something, but is uh, a a full expression of the gift of the person. And it is true as St. John, the apostle, tells us in his first letter, we love because he first loved us. That is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. So yes, eventually we must move beyond the basic expression of responding to God's love and go beyond that because our love must become a pure gift. So this is the stage of the journey where St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart, um, who we have been doing a series on, this is where we find her at this point in time. And uh, we have been using as our resource a book called God is Love, St. Teresa Margaret, Her Life 
and it's by Margaret Rowe. I think it's very helpful, a lot of good spiritual counsel in there. And so uh, we've taken that as our um, uh, point of departure to, to discuss many different aspects of the spiritual journey. And um, so last week we had talked about scrupulosity and aridity, and tonight um, we will continue on this aridity and, and the great depths to which this purification goes. And um, hopefully we will get to tell you about the um, death of this great saint. Well, and it's also true, Francis, in addition to the life of the saint, I've said many times, I know you have, that we learn more from the actual life of a saint uh, than we do initially from their reading, from reading their writings. We can read the writings of the great saints, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux, um, and they're meaningful and they're helpful to us, but then when we can put them in the context of their individual life, what they uh, personally experienced, we get some deeper sense of what is in their writing. And then we go back and read what they wrote again. Exactly. <laughs> we many, have a greater understanding. <laughs> yes, many times. <laughs> but in addition to that, and certainly in the case of St. Teresa Margaret, we also have the benefit of her spiritual guides and her spiritual directors. And um, in this case, of Father John Colombino, who had become St. Teresa Margaret's regular confessor, wrote her a letter that provided some great advice on this trial, this painful trial of aridity and coldness that you just mentioned. Um, it's great advice for us as well if we happen to find ourselves path passing through a similar stage in our spiritual journey. And if we stay committed to our spiritual journey, my dear listeners, we all will go through these various stages. What is important for us is to find context in both the life of a saint, in the life of another person uh, who is a spiritual guide, and perhaps in the writings of that saint, and thirdly, as we've mentioned, um, the spiritual direction and guidance they personally received. And so, Francis, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to read from Father Colombino's uh, advice to St. Uh, Teresa Margaret. And again, this is a letter he wrote to her regarding the painful trial of aridity and coldness. Although you feel yourself deprived of all feeling and in the dark, I repeat what I have told you before, that the painful trial which afflicts you, rising it does from the vehemence of your desires, actually is love. It will profit you much in securing you a purer, stronger charity through the exercise of naked, arid faith, which must now guide you in the accomplishment of your task and the various functions of your spiritual life. And how costly this latter will be to you in fighting distractions and temptation and in overcoming the coldness you feel towards everything. You must be concerned about this point and be vigilant and courageous. Try to stay close to the Lord and that will surely help you to be faithful to him regardless of the contrary insinuations of the world and the adverse opinion of others. So what is it, we might ask, that brings us to this stage of the interior trial? Well, it's nothing other than the realization and the revelation of our own true interior condition. As St. Teresa of Avila puts it, the soul begins to see clearly how extremely unworthy it is. For in the room, bathed in sunlight, not a cobweb can remain hidden. It sees its own wretchedness. Again, these are the words of Teresa of Avila. And every little speck of dust, however small, however hard a soul may have labored to perfect itself, 
Once this sun really strikes it, it sees that it is wholly unclean. Now, as we've mentioned before, St. Teresa Martin, we've covered some of the biographical sketch, Francis, and we've talked a lot about um, her young life, and it remains a young life. She died at 22 years and eight months. Um, she is clearly a daughter of St. John of the Cross, and even though she was not at all familiar with his writing, she clearly understood and experienced the very essence of what John himself experienced and wrote about. I want to reiterate, this is not someone who, um, you know, sort of lived a vicarious, uh, uh, sinful, and uh, um, opulent lifestyle. She went to a, a, a Catholic boarding school and then fairly quickly into a Carmel after her graduation. Uh, she was raised and guided largely in her early life by her father. So this isn't somebody who strayed uh, uh, violently, and yet we read in the words of Teresa of Avila, consistent with what we'll hear in John of the Cross and in the life of Teresa Margaret, the fact that when the light of God is shed upon us, we begin to see all of the minute little imperfections. That's the challenge of the spiritual life. We, we wander through life so often completely unaware of the degree to which we have uh, sort of distanced ourselves from God, even in the smallest things. And yet, we are told in Scripture, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Nothing imperfect will enter heaven. These are challenging uh, degrees of, of transformation that we are called to. And in the life of a few people, in the case of St. Teresa Margaret, certainly we see that transformation taking place. So let's, let's uh, read from St. John of the Cross his own description of this experience, which seems remarkably consistent with uh, St. Teresa Margaret's. Oh, who can make this counsel of our Savior on self-denial understandable and practicable and attractive that spiritual persons might become aware of the difference between the method many of them think is good and the one that ought to be used in traveling this road? They are of the opinion that any kind of withdrawal from the world or reformation of life suffices. Some are content with a certain degree of virtue, perseverance in prayer and mortification, but never achieve the nakedness, poverty, selflessness, or spiritual purity, which are all of the same, about which the Lord counsels us here. For they still feed and clothe their natural selves with spiritual feelings and consolations instead of divesting and denying themselves of these for God's sake. They think denial of self in worldly matters is sufficient without annihilation and purification in the spiritual domain. It happens that when some of this solid, perfect food the annihilation of all sweetness in God, the pure spiritual cross and nakedness of Christ's poverty of spirit, is offered them in dryness, distaste, and trial. They run from it as from death and wander about in search only of sweetness and delightful communications from God. So what John is telling us here is many people enter the spiritual journey and believe it is sufficient to practice some measure of detachment mortification, um, consistent prayer life. These are all necessary, absolutely, and all beneficial. But what he's getting at is that the purification that leads to a complete transformation and to uh, the uh, elevation into spiritual marriage, into divine union, requires also a purification of the spirit, which is much more painful, uh, much more difficult for the soul to endure. 
and it is often the case where many people simply back away in the spiritual journey and find but the true challenge. If you want to go straight to heaven, you know, only the pure can enter heaven because nothing impure can be with God. So uh, if you want to go straight to heaven, this is what it's going to take. And whether it happens in a second <laughs> or in a lifetime, that's your, your response to God's call. That's what makes the difference. Yeah, so what's actually being experienced here is not so much the revelation of sin, but rather it's the realization of the two consequences of sin, which, in the, which is the impact sin ultimately has on our ability to love with a pure and unconditional love as we describe love simply as gift here's what we come to see about ourselves at this advanced stage of the journey we are not able to fully return love for love and as you recall francis this is exactly what Teresa margaret's goal was right. to return love for love even though this is exactly what Teresa margaret had um, uh, aspired to we see here in this late stage of her purification she's not there yet there's still work that needs to be done even in a soul as advanced as her own and I you know you you never stop um, growing even those who enter seventh mansion and spiritual marriage there is still more to offer um, to uh, grow in love and uh, encounter uh, God in greater depths. There's there's no end until the beatification, and then you've reached your height, right? Exactly right. So St. Teresa Margaret had said, I desire to be a victim of love. So she's really making a total offering of self here. To, to offer yourself as a victim soul is a huge thing. She says, I desire to be a victim of love, of his sacred heart. I do not fear suffering. But I cannot understand the contradictions within me. The very violence of these opposing desires which tear me apart. I desire to give myself entirely to him. And yet there is this timorousness, timidity, which makes me so faint-hearted. And again, it's very important for us to understand what's happening to our, our saint here. It is not as though she's not loving God. It is not as though she's failing at loving God. What she is experiencing is such a desire, such a fire uh, to express her love to God that she herself cannot meet it. She cannot live up to that standard. It is the uh, uh, final stages, if you will, of God literally taking over and loving within that soul in the way that only he can love. Um, and are availing ourselves, in this case Teresa Margaret, availing herself allowing him to do that. It's the human inability to express love in the degree to which we desire to do it that is actually the final stage of the trial of the dark night. And it is the most painful because we desire uh, to become all, if you will, that God has called us to be, but we are inadequate at, at being able to uh, raise ourselves to that. And so we must continue to avail ourselves in naked faith, as Francis read earlier in John's words, in poverty, in selflessness, in spiritual purity, and allow God to take over. In the midst of this trial, the tempest of aridity that we talked about continued with a high degree of intensity. Here's how St. Teresa Margaret herself described it, and some people I'm sure can relate very clearly to what uh, she herself experienced. I feel so abandoned that I do not seem able to find the faintest glimmer of light anywhere. The prospect of applying myself to the things of God torments me. 
Sometimes I wonder how long I will be able to hold out. I do not seem even to want God's help. So cold is my heart. But in the midst of this, Francis, <laughs> what did she continue to do? Pray. <laughs> Pray hope. <laughs> she didn't stop praying. She no. didn't stop fulfilling her duty. She didn't stop focusing uh, on others uh, in her life. In fact, not focusing on herself. In fact, she reached out even more to others and acted um, over her will, overcoming her will, uh, to dispose herself and to make herself available to others. In and, what we would call dark faith, right? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> a dark faith. And, and again, I said a moment ago, one of her spiritual directors, one of her later, and in fact her last spiritual director, Father Ildefonse, who's come up in many of our conversations, um, counseled her, prayer, he said, is not only our privilege, but it is also our first duty. Now, I'm going to just stop there before I continue with his quote to emphasize this point. Most especially when we find ourselves in a trial, uh, most often the first thing to go is prayer. Because the desire for prayer has gone. Why? Because we no longer receive what we had previously received in prayer. We don't get consolation. We don't get peace. Uh, we don't feel that closeness to God. And it is exactly in the absence of those that we must practice, as Francis just said, that pure naked faith. And this is the process of the purification of love. When we aren't receiving, but yet we continue to fulfill, in the words of Father Ildefonse, our first duty, we are in fact uh, expressing, manifesting a purity of love that goes beyond what humans otherwise would be capable of. In Father Ildefonse's words continued, when we consciously turn to God and focus our highest faculties of mind and will upon Him, we are putting them to the noblest use possible. The physical order is ruled by necessity, but obedience rules in the moral sphere. It alone puts order into the domain of the free will, and the spiritual beauty as well as harmony depend upon it. And St. Teresa Margaret was feeling very torn by these contradictions, by these paradoxes which are so common in the christian life right she says prayer it appears utterly futile because my state of mind and my indifference is just a fatiguing task performed in complete darkness which presents an almost insurreparable i'm not sure i know that word insuperable difficult yeah thank you <laughs> i'm trying to get this quote here uh difficulty for my already lazy will so she's really um seeing herself in a, a very negative way but but she's still yearning for god so she she's still praying so it's very much detached from any feelings or consolation which is exactly what Phil here. Father Ildefonse again says to her, feelings, in his words, or emotions, can be a cause of great pain as well as a considerable nuisance. For flesh and blood ever struggle against the spirit. Yet it is not with them, feelings, he's saying, or emotions, but with the will that one prays. We sometimes enjoy the exercise when God so permits it. However, often it is painful and difficult, and we have no right to expect that it should be a source of pleasure. Prayer, in Father Ildefonse's words again, Prayer is a duty, our first and our foremost duty. Always keep that thought before you. And as with every duty, it must be performed whether or not we like it or enjoy it. And I might add, a real proof of our pure love is that we overcome our will and we practice in obedience 
our first duty. We remain at prayer. And, and, as, and as the adage is, uh, prayer is to the soul what air is to the lungs. So you stop praying, you stop growing. Exactly. Right. And breathing. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> right. <laughs> well, though St. Teresa did not, Teresa Margaret did not believe that she was making any progress, she seemed to understand two important things. First, that she had a limited amount of time to allow God to do this work within her that needed to be done. She writes, in fact, in her own words, time is very short. She said that to her spiritual director many, many times. But she also seems to understand that she must be very disciplined and hard on herself, even to the point of doing violence to herself. Again, in her own words, she says, I must do great violence lest I waste this time. Now, I just put a little caveat, and we'll get to this in just a bit, but, but she knows uh, what she's asked for. Uh, as far as life and death, and so we'll get to that point. But so these these points that she's saying about time is is important. We'll get back to it though. So um, we've got to make clear that uh, the when she says I must do great violence lest I waste time. This isn't the physical violence, of course. Um, but of course, she continues with her fasting. Um, you know, she might be waking at night to pray. We've all Mark and I have talked about night vigils and. Um, you know, other things like bathing with cold water. Of course, she has many of her physical um, mortifications that, that she has done. But, but here, she's specifically referring to a spiritual violence, otherwise known as abandoning our own will to God's will in all things. And, and this is the most difficult form of violence we can practice on ourselves. If, if this perhaps sounds a little too harsh to the modern ear, we should... Uh, remind ourselves of Christ's own words on this subject. From the days of John the Baptist until now, Christ says in Matthew eleven twelve, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And of course, he's not saying uh, that violent uh, uh, men and women uh, uh, prevail over heaven. What he's saying is that when we are able to um, do violence to our own will, overcome our reluctance to prayer, as one example. Um, these are the souls who are literally stealing heaven uh, for themselves, stealing eternity for themselves. So picking up again on the counsel that her confessor father, or, not, or her spiritual director, Father Ildefon, says, and good counsel for us, in prayer we make an act of utter and unreserved surrender to God of all we are. We who are his creatures, his slaves. This abandonment is united with Christ's surrender to his Father's will in Gethsemane and on Calvary, since it is as members of his body that we pray. We're talking about the mystical body of Christ. It is therefore no cause for surprise, and certainly none for distress, if it sometimes costs us tear and sweat and blood also. So, you know, we can hearken back to uh, Christ's uh, words uh, with that kind of counsel. We can also see that St. Teresa Margaret's understanding is darkened so that her faith response may shine ever more brightly through this. She and doesn't I, and, know. And I think that the, the, the Lord is giving her more opportunities to, to grow and merit so that in heaven, you know, her, her faith 
will really sparkle. <laughs> Not to mention the example that they'll be leaving, uh, she personally will be leaving to the church for all eternity, and why we 200 years later are still talking about her. <laughs> yes. Um, she responds, by the way, to Father Ildefonce in these words regarding this, not knowing what's going on. I truly cannot understand these contradictions within myself. Even the least act of virtue repels me, and yet I am on fire with the longing to be conformed to the heart of Jesus, to die to myself that he may live in me. That should certainly sound familiar to all of us. That's scriptural. Father Ildefonce again instructs her, that can only be achieved, he says, by allowing him to do it in his own way and at his own time, what we talked about earlier in our conversation today. This is God's work. We avail ourselves of it. Father Ildefonce goes on, you will suffer, for this conformity you speak of can be attained by no other means, but it must always be in peace and abandonment to his will. Does that remind any of us of how St. Therese, the little flower, responded to the darkness she experienced? what she called the dark tunnel. And, and I just have to pull from this excerpt and then we'll take a break. Um, Therese said uh, when she was going through this last 18 months, her, her uh, trial of faith, she says, Our Lord allowed my soul to be plunged in thickest gloom and the thought of heaven so sweet from my earliest years to has become for me a subject of torture. God knows how I try to live by faith, even though it affords me no consolation. I've made more acts of faith during the past year than in all the rest of my life. And then she goes on, when I sing of the happiness of heaven and of the eternal possession of God, I feel no joy. I sing only of what I will to believe. And this is exactly how the soul must conduct itself. Believing because it wills to believe, not relying on what it feels or experiences, but relying solely upon the Word of God in, in this heroic act of faith. And again, those are the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, I think very appropriate, very consistent with the experience of uh, St. Teresa Margaret, which we identified uh, early on, the consistency between their two lives and the experiences they encountered. Well, a reminder that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. We'll be back after a short break. Francis. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. Uh, we are continuing our conversation on the life of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart. Uh, a wonderful saint who, frankly, Francis, has really only begun to come to the attention of many modern readers, I think, in the last, uh, oh, probably 20 years or so, maybe 25 years. Thanks um, to Margaret Rowe's book. Yeah. And also a book by Father, um, Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. He wrote one from, from the Sacred Heart to the Trinity. Which... Yeah, and, and we would really encourage you listeners to um, look into the life of this saint and look into some of the writings and the sources that we've mentioned. There are certainly others, but uh, I think she's a model for uh, this deep interior experience. You know, our conversations, Francis, from week to week are always about how to live the contemplative life in the midst of our secular world and our responsibilities. Of course, this woman lived um, in, in a Carmel, in a convent, uh, but what she calls us to, what she represents, what she models is absolutely consistent because it's an interior life. It's an interior encounter with our Lord. Well, here's what our Holy Mother, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, said in The Way of Perfection. 
about this whole idea we were talking about a moment ago before we went on break regarding uh, the tunnel and the darkness. And surrendering your will. <laughs> I remember reading this the first time and uh, I thought it was easy too. <laughs> oh, it's easy to. She says, it seems very easy to say that we will surrender our will to someone until we try it and realize that it's the hardest thing that we can do if we carry it out as we should. Now you just think of Lent or, or New Year's when you make resolutions or, you, or you're gonna do something for Lent. <laughs> and you know, sometimes you, you do succeed and sometimes you don't, but, um, but this is even more than that, uh, surrendering your will. Teresa goes on, I want you to realize with whom you are dealing and what the good Jesus offers on your behalf to the Father and what you are giving him when you pray that his will may be done in you. Would you like to see how he treats those who make this prayer from their hearts? Ask his glorious son who made it thus in the garden. Think with what resolution and fullness of desire he prayed and consider if the will of God was not perfectly fulfilled in him through the trials, sufferings, insults, and persecutions which he gave him until at last his life ended with death on the cross. And Father Ildefonse, again, St. Teresa Margaret's uh, spiritual director, the last spiritual director she had before she passed, um, gives her this counsel consistent with uh, Teresa of Avila. It is with our Lord in Gethsemane that you too must perfect the conformity of your will and that, as you know, is not the place where one looks for spiritual consolations. And, and this makes me think of why St. Teresa of Avila always counseled us have courage, that courage is needed all along the spiritual journey because when you surrender your will and consolations are withdrawn and you're walking in this dark, pure faith, it, it takes courage. Well, and I know, Francis, you wanted to make sure we emphasize here so many people have a misguided perception about the spiritual journey. Right. Uh, we, we often begin it because of, of catastrophes, trials that we may be going through in our personal life, and we look to the Lord who very often to draw us into uh, uh, a closer union with Him will uh, give us the benefit of the resolution of many of those trials. And for many, they think that's where it ends, and now it's just consolation on consolation. But of course, that wouldn't be consistent with what we read in the lives of the saints. And it isn't suffering for suffering's sake. It is suffering that calls us to what we were originally created for, which is love. And if that's true, then our love must be purified. And if our love is not pure, then the remedy for that is the practice of a purification of love, which inevitably entails suffering. And those that you love, think of your children. If you have children or your other beloved family members, um, when, when they need your help or, um, you know, they are suffering, how often we say, oh, I wish I could suffer in your place instead of you, especially with the children. Oh, my goodness. So, but think of this, where, where suffering is absent, um, I don't believe you'll find a true mystic. I think suffering is essential to growing in the spiritual life. Of course, as in the case of St. Teresa Margaret, one could not see her suffering from the outside. All they saw was this joyful giver <laughs> taking care of them in the infirmary, um, fulfilling her spiritual duties. Um, but only her confessor and her spiritual director knew the extent and the depth of her interior suffering. And her famous words again, Francis? To return love for love. Love for love. 
She says, I try to cling to my determination of suffering and be silent internally as well as externally in preserving serenity, whatever the outcome. And that's spiritual equanimity so that you realize that whether you have good things happening to you or what you would call bad things happening to you, you, you see them all as coming from the hand of God for your benefit to help you grow, become detached, or to merit, um, to offer up in redemptive suffering for others. So it's all good, but we really need to uh, have the perspective uh, that, that we choose, uh, analyze to see if we're doing this in, in the way God wants us to. And of course, to maintain that perspective, we'll go back to Father Ildefonso's words. Uh, our first duty is prayer. We cannot be there if we are not in conversation with God. You know, the thought came to me today, Francis, as I was looking over our notes and preparing for our conversation. How much time do we each spend with social media? You know, our iPhones or our computers or even our telephones. How much time throughout the course of the day? And I'd invite you, listener, to scrutinize your own daily activities. How much time do you spend waiting for that transmission from someone who, uh, albeit maybe a friend or a loved one, is still uh, someone who's not going to provide you the benefit that you would receive in even one hour of prayer over the course of the day? And I suspect, unfortunately, many of us spend more than an hour uh, receiving and transmitting across our various uh, social media forums and electronic devices. How much of us would benefit uh, from uh, uh, reducing some of that time and spending that instead receiving and communicating with the Lord. Well, surrender is a major part of growing in the spiritual life, and it, it is critical to be able to surrender totally. And Father Ildefonse tells St. Teresa Margaret, the whole point of surrender is that we blindly throw ourselves upon God, but there's no guarantee that we shall feel ourselves upheld by him. We may seem to have thrown ourselves upon nothing and be falling through space. You have to believe that you are support, supported without any feeling of it. And this is heroic faith. I remember reading this in John the Cross about feeling suspended. Mm. <laughs> and I can just see, you know, the soul dangling in, the, in space, you know, uh, not feeling upheld and, and not knowing where they're going. But, man, wow, that takes faith. <laughs> suspended between heaven and earth, he disguised it discusses and of course we're reminded of our lord right right no longer attached to the earth and net not drawn into heaven hanging on the cross mm, beautifully put well you put this uh, well francis in reminding us of a wonderful novena i think we've talked about this before if i'm not mistaken it was reportedly given uh, by jesus to a father dolindo rutolo rutolo uh, i believe rutolo uh, called yeah that's right you're italian you get to know italian <laughs> thank you <laughs> called the Surrender Novena. Uh, the repeated prayer throughout this novena is, O oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. It's easy to find this actually, uh, actually online. Um, and we, Francis and I, both believe it's a very helpful novena, one that we encourage you to investigate if you find yourself in the midst of a trial these days, and so many do. Uh, in this day and age, I think we are all called to these deeper levels of surrender and this novena is one very powerful tool uh, that might help us uh, um, in, in finding that uh, degree of surrender that is so necessary for us. Well, returning to the state in which St. Teresa Margaret found herself, Father Ildefonse explains that the most difficult aspect of this stage of the journey 
is the very experience of divine love. Here, a soul loves without the experience of knowing it is loving. Additionally, despite the soul's continual effort and desire to love God, the soul suffers from the experience of believing it completely failed God. So here again is where the soul must abandon itself to God and simply continue to practice naked faith. Now this is actually true. We ought not to suggest that uh, what we are discussing is only appropriate for this uh, stage of the journey. In other words, you won't get there, uh, this need for naked faith, this need for surrender, this need for um, um, experiencing um, love for love. Uh, it is necessary throughout all of the spiritual journey, Francis, and to the degree that we can begin to practice it even early in our spiritual journey, um, it will become more available to us. I, I hesitate to say easier, but, but that understanding and that overcoming of our will uh, will become more available to us in the later stages of the journey. If we begin practicing it now, you might as well begin right away, knowing what it is that the saint in this late stage of her own spiritual path, St. Teresa Margaret, um, is doing and how she is fulfilling her response to God's call is good for us to know because it is exactly what we must do along all uh, of the stages of the spiritual journey. And it's this naked faith and obedience that pulled her through many a tough moment. And for by opening herself up frankly and honestly to her confessor, she knew she could not be deceived. So you, you can't be ashamed to tell your confessor that you feel like, you know, praying is the worst thing to do. <laughs> okay. Now, you know, you may not have it to that extent, but, you know, Teresa Margaret obviously had a very deep degree of this kind of interior suffering, and, and for good reason. It's, it's also possible, I want to put interject in here, that uh, it's possible that, you know, once she started praying in a Trinitarian fashion with, with Jesus to the Father in the Holy Spirit and the practices that she had, uh, which were many, um, it, it's possible that she had passed over into the seventh mansion, into this spiritual marriage, and that this purification was not just for her, but was for her to offer in redemptive suffering for many, many other souls, much like the, the trial of faith of St. Therese. Uh, St. Teresa Vava experienced this. I, as we talked before the program, we think probably most saints go through some aspect of this, right? Um, so... Uh, it, it could be that you know this, you know this degree though was something that was going to stand out in Saint Teresa Margaret Reddy spirituality over other saints. Would it stand out in other dimensions like you know Saint John the Cross was you know outstanding in his his treatment of the dark night. Teresa Father was outstanding in the stages of prayer and this journey through the seven mansions, et cetera, et cetera. So so I think this is her. Um, her diamond in the rough that that was being uh, uh, giving her the opportunity to merit not just for herself but for all of us. And most importantly, of course, her will was firmly and undeviatingly fixed in God's will. That's what happens at this late stage. There's no light, if you will, between our will and God's will. We become completely absorbed into God's will at this stage. And again. If you're sitting there at home listening and trying to figure out, well, how do I do that? I accept the contention that you don't do it. It isn't something we 
uh, do for ourselves. We dispose ourselves. We avail ourselves. We suffer. We surrender. But we, we don't give, give up. And we don't, <laughs> don't give up. Give up. <laughs> we need courage to go through this. But the Lord has to do this work in us. We practice faith. God accepted, of course, her offer to live this life of humiliation, love, and sacrifice, just like Jesus. She was accepted by all of heaven as a victim of the fire of divine love. Um, this idea of a victimhood, as Francis suggested, is probably quite consistent with the experience of all saints uh, who have been raised to uh, divine union, spiritual marriage, this level of intimacy with our Lord, because what is part of our call as Christian? It is to be part of the uh, 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 reparation and the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what this called communion um, uh, uh, asks of us. And with her union with God manifesting through her self-effacement and, and her hiddenness and her imitation of the interior dispositions of Jesus, just just think that this darkness might be the same, uh, a hint of the experience of what Jesus was experiencing, the darkness on the cross, a feeling, you know, Father, why have you abandoned me? You know, so uh, again, this was, uh, I think, St. Teresa Margaret's special call to imitate this interior disposition. So if you're looking for the shortest, safest, maybe the clearest road to divine union with God, then you don't need to look any further than the life of St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And if you would like the most direct explanation of this road, it's found in the words of St. Teresa of Avila regarding how this transformation occurs. And Francis, I'm going to ask you to read that if you don't mind. His majesty can bestow no greater favor upon us than to grant us a life conformable to his beloved son. So I hold for certain that graces are sent to strengthen our weakness so that we may imitate him by suffering much. And this should be one of the means by which we find ourselves capable of enduring, of sustaining, and, and um, living through this phase of the journey. And that is, look at our Savior. Look at Jesus in the garden. Look at Jesus at the, at the uh, um, at crucifixion. Look at him um, as St. Teresa of Avila so often did while he's being whipped and scourged. Whatever image evokes for you a sense of compassion uh, and strengthens you in the midst of your own trial, meditate on that, retain it, keep it in your heart. Um, this is always a source of strength. It has been a source of strength for saints throughout centuries uh, that we look at uh, the eyes and, and uh, the, the, the sacrifice of our Savior as a means of carrying ourselves through these difficult times in our life. Well, should we just quickly uh, go over her death or should we wait for another program? What do you want to do there? Um, you know what? Let's continue. We've got just about 10 minutes. Let, why don't we not do the the piece on uh, St. John of the Cross, and, and let's go to okay. um, the, the litany of instructions um, uh, regarding um, the, the reaction to um, uh, Teresa Margaret, so late, late stages, and we'll, we'll probably have a few minutes to discuss her passing then. All right, well, let's start with this scripture passage from Matthew. This is chapter 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This was a favorite uh, verse of St. John of the Cross. He said it many, many times, along with enter via the narrow gate. It's been said of the great saints, they do not die of natural causes, rather they die of love. 
Francis mentioned that uh, earlier in our conversation today. The intensity of their love is so great that their soul almost bounds from their body in order to fly to its intended destination, which is the bosom of God. For St. Teresa Margaret, this seems to have been the case. She revealed to Father Ildefonse her desire for an early death, a desire which he approved so long, he said, as she accepted God's will in the matter. At the same time, we recall her pact with a dying elderly nun. St. Teresa, you may remember, sought the older nun's agreement while the older nun was near death to petition the Lord that Teresa Margaret might herself pass to glory soon after the older nun's departure. Her wish seems to have been granted as she died only months after the older nun. Now, why does she want to die early, die young? Well, because that, she knows that going to heaven, seeing God face to face, that's where the purest love that she can offer will take place. So as long as you're on earth, um, there's a potential for sin, and uh, of course there's the suffering, but you know, to see God face to face is the fulfillment of the desire of her return love for love. Yeah, and there's a not too subtle distinction here between what many of us might have said throughout the course of our lives when we may have uttered those words, oh, I wish I could just die and go to heaven, right? <laughs> They're probably most often uh, uh, derived from a desire to get past all the trials that we're enduring, the struggles we're enduring. In Teresa Margaret's case, it was just the opposite. She wanted to be with God so that all the impediments to love could be removed. It isn't that she minded her trials. She'd endured them. She'd embraced them. She used them as a source to elevate herself in the spiritual journey beyond what God was, or, or, or up to the point where God was then doing the work within her. But she absolutely accepted everything in her life, but she wanted to move beyond that to a deeper love, not the resolution or consolation that she had already abandoned any desire for, but so that she could be more pure in her love for God. And I think she even said, somebody asked her about hell, and she said, well, I wouldn't mind going there as long as I could love God there with every ounce of my being so that God would be loved in hell even there. Exactly. Well, at the same time, Teresa Margaret seems to have had some premonition about her impending death uh, while in conversation with a young acquaintance, a friend from her childhood, who had come to visit her just prior to that girl herself preparing to take a habit in the Benedictine convent of St. Apollina. You'll remember that Teresa Margaret had been a student at St. Apollina herself. The young girl named Teresa, I'll let you say this one. Okay. Oh, I, I, <laughs> go ahead, try it. That sounds good. Promised that she would come to see Teresa Margaret again, one more time, before she actually took the veil um, at St. Apollina's. In response to this comment, Teresa Margaret simply said, If you if can you see me. <laughs> As it turned out, the younger girl never did see Teresa Margaret again because she died before the young woman's return. So it's almost as if Teresa Margaret, you know, again, uh, had an inkling that her time was coming. You know, another key element for the preparation of the death of a saint seems to be the importance of their last confession. And in the case of St. Teresa Margaret, Father Ildefonso himself expressed surprise at the exactness and compunction with which uh, she elaborated her little infidelities and he did not consider it to be a response of fear or scruples at this time. It was merely that the future saint was genuinely aware and very contrite about what she had well recognized had been her failures and the love for the Lord. And, and she even asked him to have uh, a confession as if it was her last one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this was before any idea that uh, anything was going to happen. So her, her last hours are actually shrouded in mystery. 
as been as her spiritual journey in Carmel has been, she was struck with acute abdominal pain. And, and initially they thought it was just colic, so they didn't think it was a serious matter. And, but, you know, in just a few hours, she was dead. And now modern science uh, has speculated that it was probably a strangulated hernia. And so when that happens, it, you, do, you go fast. So the entire community was shocked. Yeah, she was provided the last rites, although only after it was uh, quite clear that there would be no recovery uh, for the saint. Uh, what was most striking, actually, about her hastily arranged funeral was the stark reality that we will all face one day. One day, each of us will stand before the Lord alone, nothing to offer but the complement of our good deeds and our sins, and, of course, the Lord's mercy, if we've sought that. Sinner or saint, this is the reality for all of us. Even though Teresa Margaret's great sanctity would not be revealed until sometime after her death, her condition at death was the same as it will be for all of us. We will stand before God to be judged. Lord, do not call thy servant to account, for no one can stand guiltless in thy presence unless thou grant us forgiveness. And I might add, the reason why they were hastily preparing her funeral was because gangrene had set in, and she was, uh, her limbs had turned black. She was and wasting she, away quite quickly. Quickly, yeah. very yeah. quickly. You know, some of the saints provide us evidence, thanks to God's grace, of the merit of their lives and witness to the life of holiness. In the case of this young saint, young at the time of her death, of course, um, the very things that Francis just mentioned regarding the, 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 the rapidity with which uh, she began to deteriorate, her physical appearance and presence began to deteriorate, um, constitute the miracle that God has left us in this saint uh, for the church. And I'm going to ask Francis if you wouldn't mind catching some of the highlights on uh, the, um, the events that occurred uh, immediately following her death. Well, the preservation of body, of course, was one of the most outstanding because after the apparent symptoms of early decomposition that everyone had observed with such alarm, now all of a sudden there was another change taking place. So where before she had this blue-black discoloration, now it was becoming less and less and, and she was getting an, a normal looking appearance and then looking like she had just laid down. And um, so they decide to postpone the burial. And then within a few hours after examination, they said, well, the face, the hands and the feet had regained their, their natural coloring. And, uh, you know, her body was very lifelike as if she was just sleeping. And her face had a, a healthy appearance. Even her cheeks had color in it. And so um, then they want to do a, a, a portrait of her, you know, because they're seeing that this was a phenomena, you know, that what was, you know, earlier looking like she was going to decompose rapidly, now the opposite was happening. And then this great perfume of the, nar I think it was Narcissi, it was the, it was the flower that, that she said was the, the scent of holiness. Everyone could smell that in the cell that she had, her home uh, where her father was, they smelt it. And so you have that phenomena happening. And um, I think there was a doctor also <coughs> called in uh, who noticed that there was moisture on her upper lip. And he um, uh, uh, drew that off. And when he uh, went to, uh, to smell it himself, this is the scent, uh, beautiful scent, uh, I'm told, uh, that, that he um, actually experienced. So... Now that began the process as the reversal of the decomposition 
uh, to a condition that was actually um, much more lifelike. And in fact, at this point, I believe, Francis, we recall, the bishop was even called in right. to validate this, uh, whether in fact what, what uh, was told to him was in fact happening. He wanted to see him. Yeah, because when, they had, when she had first died and they had changed her dressing um, and put her back in her habit, um, her body was real stiff. And now here she is. The body is all flexible. The eyes are those of a living person. The complexion was one of the best of health. And her feet looked like she had just been walking and she just looked like she was asleep. There was, there was no indication of decay. So that was an extraordinary change. In fact, the, uh, the texts at the time says exactly that. Extraordinary. Indeed, it was a miracle to see a body completely flexible after death. The eyes, those of a living person, the complexion, that of one of best health. Why, even the soles of her feet appear to be lifelike, that she might have been walking about a few minutes ago. She appears to be asleep. There's no odor of decay, but on the contrary, the most delightful fragrance, indeed the odor of sanctity. And her body lays corrupt to this day, all these years later, in, in the cathedral there in Florence. In Florence, over 200 years later. And last statement on the impact this soul had on the church. There were uh, dozens of miracles attributed mm -hmm. to her right. just a short time after her death. I mean, within days of her death, a number of the sisters in the Carmel uh, began to experience healings. People in the town began to experience healings. And of course, the prayers began, and other people outside the reaches of Florence began to experience it. I want to pray, Francis, that we uh, might be a means through which this great saint uh, begins again to uh, share those miracles and those experiences, not perhaps uh, exclusively, certainly on a physical level, but by the transformation of human hearts and souls to a deeper union with God. Amen. And so are we going to close with this prayer from St. Teresa of Avila from the Conceptions of the Love of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O oh my Lord, my mercy, my good, what more do I want in this life than to be so near you that there is no division between you and me? And since your love allows it, I will repeat without ceasing, my beloved to me and I to my beloved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us again on Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We will be picking up with a new topic next week, and I'd love to tell you what it is, but I'd rather leave you in suspense. <laughs> so, so be sure to tune in. Be sure to tune in. <laughs> and Mark thank will you. be here. <laughs> yes. Thank you, and God bless all.